Psalm 1. We read it earlier, but let's just read it again. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked, stand in the way that sinners take, sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one, capital O there, notice, the one, the Lord, enthroned in heaven, laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger, terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Now I'm going to pause for a second. We're going to read the rest. Psalm 1's kind of basic, and we get it. Psalm 2's like, whoa, king, Zion, holy mountain, wrath. This is getting weird. Remember, it's poetry. Poetry is about fast-paced, repetitive pictures. And these pictures parallel each other to make a visual truth. Okay, so if some of this is throwing you off, hang in there. Verse 7, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son today. I have become your father. Ask me, I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned. You rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the sun or he'll be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now, why don't you uh, have a seat, if you would. We're going to look at this. Now, I hope you noticed just at face value, when we looked at Psalm 2, it started with these parallel lines that are pictures about a kings rising up against the king, and then you have the Lord, it's a new picture, looking down, laughing at them. Then you have a king saying, the Lord said to me, so it started off Kings going against the big king. Then it moved on to God in heaven looking down and laughing. Then it moved on to a human king saying, the Lord who appointed me said, I'll give you nations and you'll rule and you'll have a scepter and you'll crush. You'll go to like the pottery place and smash the pot. You know, that's where we start to lose it. But at the end, there were no more pictures. I hope you notice the face value. At the end, the, the uh, poetry leads us somewhere and says, therefore, you rulers. So what I want us to see is that Psalm 1 and 2 are an intro to the entire book of Psalms. And how, how, again, how do I know this? 
Most of the Psalms in book one have a superscription. They have some sort of little descriptor. Look at Psalm 3. It has a superscription. Psalm 4, just turn the page. Psalm 5, Psalm 6, Psalm 7. In Psalms 1 through 41, all of them, minus, there's a few in the middle there. Psalm 10, which is supposed to be connected to Psalm 9. We'll get to that another day. And one other one doesn't. For the most part, almost every Psalm in the first book has a descriptor, and almost all of them talk about David, but for some reason, Psalms 1 and Psalms 2 do not have that little descriptor. And that, these little things like poetry are a hint that something is supposed to stick out. These are more generic, and the reason they're more generic is because they're to point the way to the entire movement of the Psalms. So if you want to read a book, let me give you a tip. Don't read every page. If you're an author, don't hate me. Don't read every page. Read the first chapter, read the last chapter. And then go back and read in chapter two, read the first page or paragraph and read the last page or paragraph and the author gives the whole thing away. That's how books are written. So read the beginning and read the end and you will know where the author is going. So if you read the first two Psalms and then you read the last five Psalms, it gives you the tone of the whole thing. Do not go to Psalm 145, okay? Jesus will judge you. But um, Psalm 1 and 2 is the intro. So what we're going to see is what we're, we're reading over seven weeks, over 50 days. You get it all this morning. So hopefully you're paying attention to what God has to say to us. Now, how do I know that these are connected? The superscriptions tell me these stand out. They're different. Plus, Psalm 1 is different. The other ones read differently. Psalm 1 is what they call a wisdom psalm. It reads kind of like the Proverbs. It's short, like pithy little sayings. It, it stands out. It sticks out. And then we're going to see that Psalm 2 is a royal psalm. Psalm 1 is about wisdom. Psalm 2 is about a king. Psalm 1 is about being wise. Psalm 2 is about being ruled by a king. A king is wise. There is a wise king. If I want wisdom, I need to go to the king. And if, I, if I'm the king, I'm going to give you wisdom. Those interplay. And so if you want to be someone who is wise and knows God and follows God, two things. I'm going to give it away at the beginning and we'll work our way and we'll repeat it at the end. You need God's instruction. Wisdom does not come from us. Wisdom, true wisdom, comes from God. And you not only need wisdom, you need a king to lead you. It's one thing to say, do this and don't do that, but do you have children? Why don't you just give them a manual when they can read and say, here, we'll see you at college. You're five. You can read. Good luck. Here's a book. Go do it. Those of us who are parents know, one, we used to sleep. Two, we know that wisdom and instruction comes from relationship, from a person. So if you want to be wise, you need God's instruction and you need God's kingship. You need God's leadership. You need God to rule you if you're going to be wise. I gave you the whole thing. Now, there are four Hebrew words that are in both Psalm 1 and 2 that really are convincing. So this morning, what we want to do is not go line by line. We're going to look at four words that are in Psalm 1 and four words that are also in Psalm 2 that are meant like poetry to play off of one another. The word is used in Psalm 1. We see something. Aha! I see it in Psalm 2, and I get the fuller meaning. The first word is the word blessed. The word blessed. Look at Psalm 1.1. Blessed is the one. 
And then look down at Psalm 2, verse 12. At the end of that verse, it says, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The word blessed, hashrei in Hebrew, it, it is a word, and there are many words for the word blessed, but the same particular word is used at the beginning of Psalm 1 and at the end of Psalm 2. And what the author is doing, like a good lyricist, like a good writer, you use repetition. They didn't have fonts. They didn't have typesetting. They didn't have pictures, so to speak. So what you do is you sandwich things. We saw it in the Gospel of Mark. We saw it when we studied Philippians. Writers use words to frame thoughts. So... Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are meant to be read together because it starts with blessed and it ends with blessed. Blessed is the one, blessed are all. Blessed is the individual, blessed is the nation. Blessed is the family, blessed is the church. How do we live the life of God's blessing? What is the path? So the, the technical word here for those of you who are students who want to grow in this is the word, it's an inclusio. It's, a, it, it's done in literature. It's done throughout the Bible. An inclusio, the words at the beginning and the end form a bracket and everything in the middle is going to inform us on how to live blessed. You want to be blessed by God? Do you want to grow in him? Do you want to really know him? you want the life that God wants for you? Then read in the middle of these two because it will help us. And what this tells us is, like I said in Psalm 1, we need God's instruction. You want to be blessed? Psalm 1 is about God's instruction. You want to be blessed? Psalm 2 is about a leader. So you need, you need teaching and you need leadership and, and poetry in the middle is going to inform us with pictures on how to be blessed. Does that make sense? So hopefully we're beginning to get how this works. Now what this does tell me, good news, bad news. The good news is God wants to bless you. That's the good news. And that is actually very good news. What we get at the beginning is blessed is the one who's going to do something in relation to God. So I don't know what your view is of God. You may see him as angry or distant or, or carefree. You may see him as mean and vindictive and evil almost. Your view of God will inform everything about you. What you think about God is going to dictate the course of your life. That's not an overstatement, and that's not like a preacher's line to make you feel bad. It's true. What you think right now about God informs everything that you think and you do. So this is, why, why is this the introduction? Because if, if we get God right and we get his leadership right, then we can move in the path of blessing. So God wants to bless you. Here's the bad news. God's blessing is not automatic. It's not. And that's what Psalm 1 and 2 are going to tell us. You don't get it because you were born in a good home and you go to church and you own a Bible and you can spit off a few spiritual truths. That does not qualify you for God's blessing. Or let's go in the reverse. If you're brand new and don't know anything, never read a Bible, you are a candidate for God's blessing. It's not automatic. So God's blessing is both a gift and a product of the choices that we make. So blessing is both a gift from God and the result of our choices. Get that. I didn't make it up. I read Psalm 1 and 2. So God wants to bless. That's all over Psalm 1. You don't have to live like chaff that's hay dried up and destroyed. You can be like something, like a tree that's nourished and fruitful, but it's not automatic. And there are kings in Psalm 2 who choose and see the way of God and say, I will not have God's way. 
I know better, and their choices lead to their destruction. So this morning we want to see ourselves in the Psalms. You can live a life full of blessing. God's enriching. You can see his favor over your life. Not a perfect life, but a great life. If, and then we want to see what that if is. How do I go towards God's blessing? The word in Psalms 1 and 2 is meditate. It's the same word we see in both. And the word here in Hebrew is hagah. Say it with me. Hagah. You know a little bit of Hebrew. There you go. The word meditate. Now, uh, we see it in Psalm 1 and 2, verse, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, chapter 1, chapter 2. Psalms 1, verse 2 says, those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate on Torah. Now, what is law in Psalms? Let's see if anyone knows it from last week. What is law? Instruction. It's not rules. It's not, if you don't do this, I'll squash you. God's Torah, and the word there in Hebrew is Torah, not law like we think it, is his instruction, his teaching, his way, his wisdom. So God's law. Those who, you want to live blessed? Do you want to know God and his favor? You do something. You choose to haggah. You choose to meditate on God's instruction. Now, I say meditate. Immediately, you are thinking Buddhist. Because we live in America. And in America, what most not, meditation is a, a, a broad term. But most of us, we think, mm, I'm going to meditate. I, scented candle, you know. Pose that I could do, like, you know, crisscross applesauce when I was, like, 12. And ever since then, I'm just tight. I can't. You know, and I'm mad. And, or we think yoga and emptying. We think of putting ourselves in a place where we can empty ourselves of the clutter and make room for inspiration. That is not biblical meditation at all. It's actually the opposite. Eastern or Buddhist meditation is a practice of emptying of self to be filled with something greater. But biblical meditation is a filling. It's not an emptying. It is a filling my mind of God's thoughts and God's instructions. So the word Hagah is literally a sound. It's like an animal making that hum. You know, if you're, I'm not a farmer, but theoretically if you're out there and the animals, that you don't have to tell them. You don't have to tell a cow to moo. You know, they just kind of chew, you know, they, they, they do this thing over and over. And, and an animal usually has like a small series of sounds. They don't, you don't see a giraffe going moo, you know, you don't teach a giraffe to moo. I don't think you do. And if you did, you have too much time on your hands. But, but an animal just has this thing about them. And that is, the word haga is this sound word that says again and again and again. So what does the wise person do? The wise person hears God's instruction and over and over and over and over again. It just becomes a part of their thinking. They hear something that's true and they think about it and they talk about it and they dwell on it and they let it apply and then it move them. And then, they, you know what? The next day they get a new little color on it and I think about it. I, you know, I, I oh, wow. I didn't, you know, I get a new facet of it. It's not automatic. And hear this. God's blessing over your life I can't poof it over you. We want to be like American blessed, which is like, here it is, drive through. You don't even have to stop. You don't have to get out of your car. Like, blessing, it's theirs, it's yours, goodbye, go. No, 
It is slow and steady, day by day, choosing, choosing, choosing. I had a bad day. Okay, I got a good day. I got a bad day. I got a good day. I'm going to choose over and over for the rest of my life to consider God and what he said. And as I consider what God has said, I'm going to let God's thinking shape my thinking. I'm going to mutter it. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to talk about it. And over time, my thoughts, my actions, my behavior are going to be more in line with God's thoughts and actions and behavior. Do you see that? And so Psalm 1 and 2 are going to drive the whole thing. The whole story of the Psalms is a story of God wanting to bless his people and then giving us freedom and movement to choose. So hear me clearly. God is for you and God will move with you in the choices that you make. So let's look at that from the negative side for a second. If you choose to avoid God, if you choose to ignore God, if you choose to blatantly, like the kings in Psalm 2, disobey God, then God, who loves you, will move in relationship with your choices. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that God is small and you're big. No, 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 you're missing the whole point. What Psalm 2 tells us, God in heaven laughs. <laughs> he mocks. He scoffs. He says, I can't believe they actually think they're smarter than me. But yet the God that made us, and the whole Bible tells us this story. God creates in Genesis Adam and Eve, and he gives them land. He gives them a garden. He gives them a job. He gives them beautiful temperature and says, enjoy. Just do life my way. Avoid one thing. Obey me. My way is better. What do they do? They do what they want to do, and the ripple effect is felt till today. Now, God steps in, doesn't utterly destroy them, but they're removed from the place of blessing. But from the time that God, in Genesis 4, removes them from the place of blessing, the whole story of the Bible is God trying to get his broken people back to the place of blessing. And the place of blessing is relationship with God. It is not a new vehicle. You do not need another toy to feel blessed. You can know God and when you know God, you are blessed. And that can be knowing God with a lot of material blessing. It could be knowing God with zero material blessing. Material blessing is not the key to being blessed by God. So I am joyful if I have it, and I could be equally joyful. I spend lots of times in emerging places in the world, if you want to call it emerging world, third world, poorer. And I find that people are filled with a greater sense of God's blessing than many here, even though we've got cash and health care. Psalm 1 and 2 tells us why. Blessing comes from the instruction and wisdom of God. Okay, so, so biblical instruction, biblical filling of the mind, that is meditation. So, so Psalm 1 verse 3, what does that look like, the poetry? Let's look at it. That person, what is it like to meditate, is like a tree planted by streams of water. The word planted could be translated transplanted. And here's why this makes it, and I think that's an equally good translation. The person is like a tree transplanted by streams of water. The idea here is in the desert, water is so scarce that it's like gold. And so the idea here is what's a wise person? They think about God's instruction. And when they think about God's instruction, God takes them from a dry place and picks them up 
and puts them by a canal, a water source that's dug out. And so now, because they've chosen God's blessing, God's thoughts, they're not living in an arid, dry, wiltering, hot place. God moves them and says, aha, you've chosen me. I will pour my water into the very core of who you are. My truth will become your truth, and it will be like deeply rooted. And what will happen? Over time, people will see it. Verse 3, that person's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. So meditation is pictured graphically like a tree that was in a dry place has been moved to a place where its source is outside itself. This is huge. This may be belittling to us who think we know it all. What I'm suggesting is the path of blessing is not with another degree. Now, I'm all for education, and I'm still in class, and I think I'll always be a student. But the source of blessing is outside of us. It's in God. And when God is your stream of water, your stream of truth, your source of everything, you will over time, how how many trees grow in a day? I think tree is the right metaphor. A tree who seasonally yields its fruit in season. That means there are times when the leaves aren't there. There are times when the leaves are budding. Following Jesus is a lifelong thing. It's not a moment. It starts in a moment, but it's not a moment left by your own choices, followed by your own choices. It is day by day going to Jesus and finding all that we need in him. Okay, third word here. Um, actually, one, one, one more thought on this, on the meditation part. Uh, Psalm 2, verse 1. The, here's the contrast. Tree planted by streams of water, that's awesome. Uh, but 2, verse 1 say, why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The word plot there is the word meditate. It's a different English word, but it's an exact opposite Hebrew word. So here's the contrast. Contrast. Blessed is the person that meditates, chews on, thinks about, considers, follows God's ways. But in Psalm 2, why do the nations, the people, why do they think about, meditate, ponder, consider, and plot against God? Verse 2. The kings of the earth rise up, the rulers band together against God and against his anointed, saying we need to break off these chains. God has put us in a box and we need to free ourselves. Do you see the contrast in meditation? Wise person is considering, muttering again and again, God and his thoughts, the kings, the leaders, the supposed smart people are plotting, thinking, muttering, considering rebellion against God. That's why I think we need to see these two psalms together. So the takeaway from this is God wants to bless you. It's not automatic, but when it comes to meditation, it makes us realize that you have to find yourself like a tree or like one of these kings, and you get to choose. So get yourself into the psalms for a second. Are you going to be like the tree planted by streams of living water, 
Or are you going to be like the king who's conspiring with his friends on how you can avoid God and do your own life, and I don't need you, and I'm my own man, and I'm wiser, and I'm smarter, and it's all hocus pocus, and I don't know if I believe it, and I'm going to be okay. And if there's a God, then in the end, we're all going to be all right, because if he's really God and he's really loving, he knows that I couldn't see him, so why would I follow him? And, and so it's all good. And the Psalms are supposed to tell us in very vivid ways, it's not all good. And the king, the person, you, when you do not meditate and consider God, it will not go well for you. All right, third word that we want to see here is um, the word way. So let's look at Psalm 1, verse 6. It says, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And then you see it again at the end of Psalm 2, verse 12. Kiss the son or he'll be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. The biggest metaphor, and write this down, in all the Psalms and all the Proverbs, if you want to see a metaphor, the most common is the way. So Psalms 1 and 2 are about the way. Psalms 1 and 2 are about your way. Psalms 1 and 2 are about your path, your direction, your road. And so more than 50 times you see in the Psalms alone, and it's even more in the Proverbs, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to destruction. The way, the way, the way, the way, the way. So God's blessing is real and he wants it to happen, but it's not automatic. And so the way is a poetic device, a poetic way, a pictorial way of talking about your life, your choices, the direction, and your end result is all in the way. So, so what you're doing, what I'm doing right now has us on the way. And so the way of the blessed man is going to be seen, guided, overseen by the Lord. But the way of the king's who don't consider God, who don't follow his anointed one, who don't care about his leadership, their way will lead to, and this is the fourth term that we see, it's connected with the way, and it's the word destruction. And there is nothing chipper about the word destruction, okay? I'm trying to find a silver lining, and there ain't none. So same verses, you see it in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. 1, 6, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And this speaks of, uh, the visual is death. Um, annihilation. It's, it, there's nothing good. So Psalm 1 and 2, sometimes, you know, again, if you're a parent, uh, and if you're a student, yes, your parents are doing mind tricks on you all the time. They're, they're trying to use words to stop you from hurting yourself. So what you do is you usually front load, here's how it goes, kiddo. I'm the boss, you're not. And that doesn't usually go very well, you know. And then here's why. Here's why I wouldn't want you to do it. You, you almost overdo it up front to stop your child from going down a path that leads to destruction. So you got little kids, you scream it, don't touch the oven or the flame. Why? Because if you threw the, hey, it, it's, it's not so good. They may get the idea that I think it is good, but they're trying to stop me from good because my parents are like that. They're evil. Like, and so I, I go towards the flame. So you yell. 
don't touch. Do not run in the street because big vehicles come and smash things and you throw a little grape there and you smash it. You no, you don't do that. That's just weird. But you, you, over, you overdo it, right? You overdo it to make a point. And Psalm 1-2 is rapid fire overdoing it. It speaks in absolute black and white terms because as you read, it's the intro, as you read through the Psalms, it's supposed to lead you into the path of wisdom and the path of light, a life. And so, so what we need sometimes is to be smacked upside the face real quick and then the rest of the Psalms are going to lead and reinforce what we're seeing right now. So destruction is the word habad, and there's nothing good. So let me just ask you this. Can a follower of Jesus destroy their life? And it's not a trick question. The answer is absolutely yes. Do followers of Jesus destroy their life? All the time. And this is, this is where I think a mistaken cynicism can come and say, like, I, I would like to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, but when I look at Christians, I see like, if it's true, then why isn't it true of their life? And hear me, if you're searching, you're seeking, and you want to know what's right, and you want to really follow God, you need to know this. God wants to bless, and God has given us the ability to walk in his blessing and experience his blessing, but God, for whatever reason, is not going to over-dominate now, as a good father, sometimes he jumps in to save us from death. He does. But for the most part, he wants to see if we're going to go his way. And so, yes, followers of Jesus all the time destroy portions of their life. But remember, Psalms is a book of hope. And what you're going to see all throughout is even though there are dark days, God steps in. And even though we do rebel, God steps in. And even though we, we hurt ourselves, God steps in to save. God is always faithful and God will go overboard to bring himself, which is blessing, into your life. But you need to choose his way. You need to know that in the end, you can experience abundant fruitfulness or utter destruction. You can look back on your life and say, why? Why did I not listen? And so I need to speak with the forcefulness of Psalm 1 and 2 that says there is a path that you, hear this, are already on. I'm not saying you need to choose which path. I'm saying you're already on a path. You need to consider, the person who's wise, is consider the path that you're already on and look at the result of the path and ask yourself, is this the Psalm 1 blessed path or is this the Psalm 2 Kings in rebellion against God and his doing path. And am I going to, if I keep going in this direction, be closer to God's best for me? Or am I going to find myself living in regret and pain and, and suffering? That's, that's the choices. So those are the four words that we need to see. Now one little other thing before we kind of wrap it up for the morning and worship and sing and respond to it is you're supposed to read these psalms together, right? Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm about blessing and God's thoughts and meditation. Okay, that, that's great. But Psalm 2 is meant to be read with Psalm 1 for a reason. And let's just look back at Psalm 2, verse 2. As we read them together, here's what we're supposed to get. And I never saw this. This was new to me, and I hope it will be helpful for you. It says, the kings of the earth rise up against the, and the rulers bend together against Yahweh, which is the creator God, 
and his anointed. So they come against God and his anointed. The word here is Mashiach in Hebrew, which is which we get the word Messiah. Psalms, I said last week, are all about Jesus. From the beginning, the Messiah was one who was anointed. An anointed one is someone who was given the authority of a ruler. So notice, Psalm 2 is about a king who installs his son. Today, you have become my son. It doesn't mean that the father gave birth to the son today. That's not the metaphor. The metaphor is today as the ruling king, Yahweh, the creator God, has appointed his son. A son is direct representative. So he's authorized, like the father is. He's authorized to rule. So this is going to get a little weird, and if I confuse you, I'm sorry. When the Psalms were read and they were collected, most of these were read and collected after David came. So when you're reading the Psalms of David, think back in the day, they're not reading it with David around. David is in their past. So at the beginning of the Psalms, most of the kings had already ruled. And at the time of Jesus, all the Israeli kings were gone. There was no king in Israel. But when they read Psalm 1 and 2, they're supposed to be reminded, God, their creator, has appointed a king, his son, Mashiach, Messiah. There is one who's going to come and rule with an iron scepter with total authority. He'll be ruled by no one else because his father, God, has sent him. He'll crush and crash the pottery. The other nations that are trying to come against the Messiah, it's like, like tapping a pot and it falls apart. That's how easy Messiah will rule over the nations. And it's not about just an individual. This king is going to rule over nations. God's plan is not just for the people of Israel. God's plan is for the entire world. And so when, when they're reading the Psalms at the time of Jesus, they're not reading them like a history book. That's what God did then. They were reading them like a newspaper. Psalm 1 and 2, there's blessing from God. I can experience God's blessing. And the blessing is going to come through the Son. The blessing is going to come through Messiah. So there was an, there was an expectation at the time of Jesus that, that someone's going to come. God's direct representative. Now, Psalm 2 is quoted all over the New Testament because they connected the dots. The disciples, the followers of Jesus, the early church, they connected the dots. And because Jesus came and he died and rose again, they looked back to Psalms. The Psalms were the gospel for the early church because they said, there he is. All this pointing towards Mashiach, towards Messiah. Now we know who he is. And so I said it at the beginning, and I'm going to say it now. What do you need to experience God's blessing? You need God's instruction. Wisdom does not come from yourself. He comes from outside of yourself. The source of life is God who made you, and he wants to bless you. But that blessing comes through a leader, Psalm 1 and 2. Psalm 2 is about a king, and the king is Jesus. And if you want to experience life to the full, you must submit your life to the rule of the king. Do you get it? Now we see, because we look back, that it was all about the coming rule of Jesus. So let's throw it up on the screens. Let's look at the words of Jesus as we think about how we're going to respond. Um, let's just actually, let's throw up the Psalm 1 we can choose. Uh, let's go to the next slide. Psalm 1, we'll review. We can choose to live under God's instruction. It's a choice you can make. We said it at the beginning, we'll say it again. You can, and, but Psalm 2 is... 
that, that instruction is going to have to come through following God's Messiah. That is how this happens. And that's the introduction to all 150. With those lenses, when you read the rest of the Psalms, read it with those lenses in mind. I can follow God's instruction and be blessed, but I must follow his appointed leader. I must follow Jesus. Now, what did Jesus say that ties into this? John 14. It's not a direct quote from Psalm 2, but if you think about it, look at what Jesus says. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in? Now, does that sound crazy? Yes, unless you know Psalm 2. He's the son. So he's not quoting Psalm 2, but the idea is there. There's only one creator, God, but Jesus says, if you want to know him, you've got to follow me. In my father's house is many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare, prepare a place for you. So God wants to bring you to the place of blessing, like Adam and Eve in Genesis 2 and 3 and 4. They sinned, but God wants to bring them back to the garden of blessing. And Jesus is going to do that for us. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way. You know the way. There is a way. You know the way. If you've read Psalm 1, you know the way. Blessed is the one who meditates on God's instruction. If you follow Jesus' teaching, you have wisdom, and the wisdom is the way, and you follow the path that leads to life. But they say, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way. And I am the truth. And I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you know the Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. This is amazing. Jesus pulls together Psalm 1 and 2. Jesus is the wise one. And if you and I want to know how to live under God's blessing, you don't have to read poetry. You look at the life of Jesus and you see Psalm 1 perfectly lived out. The Messiah of Psalm 2 is the only one who can fully fulfill Psalm 1, who always meditates on God's instruction. Psalm 1 is about this ideal guy that I don't look like. But Jesus is the embodiment of Psalm 1. And so now if I can choose to live under the rule of Jesus, then I can experience all of God's blessing and all that he has for me.